May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. People sure do love a good ending of a story. If you have paid any attention to what's going on in kind of popular culture and movies and TV shows, we can see how much people love the end of a story. Last month, a silly little movie called The Avengers Endgame, part of the Marvel Universe, made $1.2 billion in its first weekend because people wanted to show up and see the end of a good story. Just last week, for folks that maybe follow fantasy TV shows, Game of Thrones on HBO, 20 million people got together on a Sunday evening to watch the end of a story. The excitement about these entertainment franchises ending isn't just limited to just a weekend or a night they're released, but there's buildup that goes into this for weeks and for months. You could find folks looking at all of the movies and stories that came before trying to figure out how it was going to end or studying photos from the movie set where the movie was being made to try to get some piece of secret information all in the hopes of figuring out the ending before the ending actually came. More importantly, folks seem to spend a lot of time trying to figure out these little pieces so that they can show that their particular theory or idea of how the story is going to end has been proven correct. We're fascinated by the ending of stories, so much so that I know some people, if they get a book, they may read the first chapter, but they can't get all the way through. They want to skim to the back and read the last chapter just to know how things turn out. We have disaster movies that sell thousands of tickets. We have books that are about post-apocalyptic stories with young people that are the heroes. We have zombie movies and we get all excited about Mayan prophecies and doomsday cults. And all of our point and our fascination is about the ending of the world, which we think is the ending of our story. When I was Growing up, I too was sort of fascinated by what happens when this place that we call Earth comes to an end. And there was this poorly made sort of TV special that came on in the early 80s with Orson Welles was the narrator with this big, deep voice. And it was about this guy, Nostradamus, in the 1500s that wrote these prophecies. And, and I can remember, I don't know why I was still awake, but I can remember very just like in my soul, the final scene of this TV show was a, a mushroom cloud from like an atomic explosion. And it scared the tar out of me, but it stuck with me. And it was that image that sort of was in the back of my mind the first time that I was introduced to the book of Revelation in scripture. It was in a Baptist elementary school and we were in Bible class and we were told this really terrifying story about how an angry God would destroy the world. 
We were told about the trials and tribulations that would come. And the basic message was you wanted to make sure to be taken up in the rapture, which is not actually in Revelation, but taken up in the rapture so you could miss all of that. And there was one passage from Revelation that stuck with me all through my life from chapter 3, 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That terrified me as an elementary school student. It stuck with me deep down in a way that certain passages of Scripture do. I didn't have a great experience with the book of Revelation, and I certainly did not look at it like it was the end of some great story that I was a part of. I was content to let it just sort of stay over in the side with people that had sort of crazy ideas about the end of the world or pop culture disaster movies. Later on, I would learn the history of the book. It barely made it into the Bible. Martin Luther would say that it shouldn't be in there because there was no Christ in that book. But I, like everybody else, love the end of a story, and the book of Revelation was not done with me yet. I think sometimes in the Episcopal Church, we're uncomfortable with apocalyptic literature like Revelation. We think of the word apocalypse nowadays as just meaning the end of the world, and typically in a very bad, disastrous way. But the original Greek that apocalypse comes to us from doesn't mean the end of the world. It means to reveal something. And we are uncomfortable with Revelation's dense and often poetic language that is confusing, but at the same time claims certainty about revealing something about God's work. Sometimes it's just easier to stay and live with the idea, the easy stuff like Jesus was God and he lived and he died and was resurrected and ascended and that the Holy Spirit was poured out and that nowadays we're just called on to love one another and to love Jesus and to love God and we can take comfort because Jesus told us we have peace and it's the peace of God and it's not as the world gives and do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid and we can feel comfortable and good about that right up until the moment that we look around at our lives and the world and realize that we are not at peace and we are not not troubled. The world is a troubled and unpeaceful place. We that are given the work of God to do right now need the apocalypse of Revelation for this to make sense. Not because of the images of destruction and an antichrist and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We need the revelation to know the, what God's end to this story is. This story that is our story. And that's what we get today. It's always Episcopal churches, if you show up with a Bible, people get a little worried. But if you turn to this, we realize that the readings that we get today are the very last pages of the whole book. We get a little postlude or 
in the Marvel movie world, we'd call it a, a post-credit end scene, right? John gives us this little tag on at the end. But what we hear about today, about the new Jerusalem, is it. It is the very end of God's story. This is the final installment of this epic story of faith that is contained in our scriptures. And John here, after everything that he has told us, suddenly says, I was carried up to a high mountain so that I could see it all. And there is the new Jerusalem coming down from God to this place. And it is beautiful. The verses that are omitted are mainly omitted just because it would take a long time to read, but they describe a city that is made of gold, but that is clear, that has gems and beautiful walls and plenty of room. It is a city that is built not just on one foundation, but 12 foundations. And John wants us to know that this is a city that will not be shaken or destroyed. This is a city that has no need of a temple or a church because the separation from God and God's creation is gone. Yes. There are no lights because the light of God shines throughout the world and throughout the city yes. and the gates are never closed. Amen. And in the midst of this, just like in the Garden of Eden, there was a river that flowed that was the river of life. And the tree of life is there. And the very leaves of that tree bring healing to all those that come to the New Jerusalem. John tells us that the nations, these are the same nations just a few chapters before that were at war with God and were on the side of evil, come to the New Jerusalem. They come and they seek healing and light, and they walk by the light of God. They come to the ultimate source of reconciliation. Here, we get the vision of God's ending to our great story. We're not to be carried away to some spiritual heaven, but heaven comes to earth. The work that we are given to do today isn't about getting our angels wings or halos or a harp or about being good enough to be raptured in the first go. The work that we are given to do today is about bringing about the kingdom of heaven here now. So we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. How does that help us today? We who gather as the church in Jesus' name should use God's ending as a guide to what we do. If we find ourselves focused so narrowly on our own individual salvation, on our own individual junk that needs to be offered up and healed by God and forget everybody else around us, then we need to remember that God's goal is the restoration of community, not a collection of individuals. If we find ourselves so focused on being with the right sort of people that maybe look like us or think like us or sound like us, then we need to remember that God's goal is a community that is made up of all the nations of the world, all sorts of colors and creeds and languages brought together. If we find ourselves perhaps too focused on being perfect or righteous 
We need to come back to this ending of the story and read that God's new Jerusalem is where those that were broken come for life and healing. And if you find yourself deciding who should be let in or who needs to be kept out, come here to the ending of the story to read about God's plan to have a city where the gates are never shut and that all that are brought there through God's grace will find life. Knowing God's end of the story makes that peace that Jesus talked about more than just a platitude to put on the wall. It means a peace of God that means the transformation of the world. It means we can act bravely. We cannot be troubled because we know that the end of the story is the end of all of this world's evil. All of the evil ever will be defeated by God's grace and love. We that know the end of God's story have nothing to fear. And we should stand without fear against the evils of this world of greed and violence and poverty and racism and sexism and homophobia and hatred of any kind. That is the evil that God seeks to drive out from this world. And we should stand against it bravely and with love. We should stand against those that want to poison the water and the land and destroy God's creation that God seems to come, want to come back home and dwell in. We should stand without fear against anyone who tries to divide us or separate us through fear or hatred or the fear of scarcity from each other and from God's creation. We should stand without fear, but we should also know that we cannot be lukewarm. While God's salvation will come through God's grace and love alone, we who are called into Christ's ministry here and now, you and me, are called to live radically now. We are called to live radically trusting in God's grace. We are called to live like people that know the end of the story, that know that evil and death and hatred and poverty and sickness will be defeated. We are called to live like people that believe the story of the book that has been given to us. We are called to live like St. Francis asked us to as instruments of God's peace. God's peace, which is radical and loving and grace-filled and that can change the world. God's peace that says, where there is hatred, let me sow love right now. Where there is injury, let me bring pardon right now. Where there is discord and division, let me bring union right now. Where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. We've been carried up on the mountaintop with, right along with John, and we have seen what the end of the story is, and now it's time we start living like we know the story that we're in. Amen.